gospel reading today, Jesus says, I don't know if you remember Aaron saying this, but Jesus says to listen to Moses and the prophets. And so I thought it would be a good idea to take that literally today. And let's go back and let's listen to the origin story of this great prophet Moses. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 1. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, They set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor, they were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and one Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, If it's a boy, kill him. And if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Well, the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. We hear the voice of God these words. Okay, so a challenge for you for later, and I may regret saying this, but give me a text from our holy book, and I will tell you how it carves a theological path creating a spiritual bent toward peace. And not just peace, but like George said in the children's sermon, peace-making a call to the work of peace. This is different than a lack of something, which is how peace is, is defined usually, lack of noise or conflict or disturbance or violence. On a personal level, who doesn't love these things or even need them every day, right? But we are doing this series from the ground up, and peace is among our tenets. And so when I'm thinking about peace or speaking or preaching about it as a part of our foundational posture as a community. I'm talking about collective peace and the theological shifts that are necessary and what it would take to do the work of collective peacemaking in the world. This is always with the same end goal, the kingdom of heaven on earth now. 
Now, we have long said that we are co-conspirators of peace. That's a favorite way of us, for us to describe ourselves. We so value it around here that we put it in our name. We changed our name in 2015, right? And yet we cannot have a conversation about peace without acknowledging its relationship with oppressive domination systems, a.k.a. the world we live in the reality that we live in. And we use this word a lot around here, domination systems. And I think it can be defined as any exploitative societal system, whether it's abuses directed toward people or animals or the ravaging of the earth. And so peace is impossible without acknowledging how these ego-driven power dynamics stand in direct opposition to the kingdom work we're called to do. This is why these conversations are relevant in a church. So when, when we use words like white supremacy or patriarchy or privilege, these kind of uncomfortable words for people, we're not just throwing out buzzwords. These words have actual meaning behind them. And when we're ready to face the discomfort of them and spend some time thinking about how these words hurt people in everyday life and the harm that they cause, then we begin to understand that people of faith don't just have a right to be using these words, but we have a responsibility to be naming them. So acknowledgement is a start, but it's not enough. Peace is also impossible without actively responding to these systems so that all of creation can know peace, so that peace becomes equitable. Internal response is also a part of this because peace is impossible without doing that inner work of the holds that both the collective ego, so those domination systems, and our own individual egos have over our lives, a.k.a. we check our complicity, the ways that we are resisting peace inside. So peace is a very holistic, complex concept. It is both vertical and it's horizontal. It's about us and God, but it's also about others and God, but it's also about us and others. Like Fran said last week, we are one. And so peace isn't peace without all of peace for all of us. This is why the very nature of peace is inevitably disruptive. Jesus went around teaching disruptive peace doling out disruptive peace, living a life of disruptive peace. He showed us what peace looks like. He talked about peace all the time. His work was the work of peace. His way is the way of peace. And at the same time, Jesus didn't abandon his tradition. Not completely. He pointed to the prophets. He pointed to the prophets in today's reading. He said, you want to know about this heaven stuff? What's it's all about? Go back to your stories. Go back to the texts you were already given, the ones that you knew like the back of your hand because you read them so much, but look again. Listen. Look closely and listen to the prophets. Do you know who listened to the prophets? Anybody? Like no one. 
hardly anyone actually listened to the prophets because their messages were disruptive. They were uncomfortable. They were confusing sometimes. They were intense. Yet give me a text from our holy book and I'll tell you how it works with the canon to carve a theological path toward peace. It all comes together, making God's peace agenda clear. I don't need to prove it to you, right? Like, our God is a God of peace. But one of my favorite examples belongs to the midwives. It's the story of Shipra and Pua in the first chapter of Exodus, by the way. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I just, I just go with it. I was just going to pretend. They represent the power of resistance and subversive irreverence in the face of institutionalized oppression. And important to note, God blesses them abundantly for it. It is a beautiful image of the kind of disruptive peace that leaves its divine mark all over Scripture. It is spirit-breathed, blessed, and sent out into the world, and we are its hands and its feet. Do you know that Moses existed because at least five women were willing to be disruptive? (laughs) I love this part. (laughs) Without their defiance, without their willingness to opt out of the patterns of hierarchy, without their lens of compassion over power, Moses would have never even been born. His story begins with two midwives and their mass acts of bravery. They went around giving life while simultaneously risking their own. In a span of verses, there's a chain reaction of rebellion against the powers that be. Moses is born and his mom hides him until she can't anymore. And in a final act of defiance, she places him in a basket. And I imagine her praying to God for a miracle. And you know what I think the miracle was? That her daughter was around to see her badassery. She takes the torch, she follows the basket, she encounters a princess, of all people, and this child prompts a woman toward the same courageous compassion as the others. It is contagious. In this moment of humanity, Moses' life is preserved, and in fact, he will thrive in the house of Pharaoh because woman after woman after woman after woman after woman was willing to disrupt oppressive systems and in doing so, pave a way toward liberation for an entire people. amazing. The truth is, both then and now, people on the margins understand with an intensity and urgency that peace cannot be obtained without some kind of disruption of the norm. This is exactly why it's so important to make room for these kinds of voices, and particularly in scripture, to go back and reread some of these stories. And when you do take notice, how God elevates the poor, God elevates the women, God elevates the oppressed, and God uses them in powerful ways despite every societal odd being against them. If we want to know what it takes to be co-conspirators of peace, perhaps we ought to go back, read these stories, and follow their lead. Remembering that Moses, the great prophet of God, deliverer of the people out of generational slavery, his story exists because of the disruption of the illusion of peace in favor of actual wholeness and humanity that is ordained and blessed by God. If we learn anything, not just from these women, but also from Moses and the whole story of the Israelites as told in the book of Exodus, it's that God's a disruptive God. 
God is anti-oppression. God is anti-injustice. Always God gives preferential treatment to those on the margins and those suffering. God is a radical empath. God doesn't just see our suffering. God knows our suffering. The words I'm saying are drenched in scripture, by the way. The very nature of God is one of peace. And so when we answer the call to be people of God in this world, we answer the same call. And when we talk about being one, or when we talk about rejecting ego in favor of spirit, this is what we're talking about, cultivating this peace nature. And it can be disruptive. It can be painful. And things might look worse before they look better. It's like going to therapy. It just gets worse. But it gets better if you keep going. This can be exhausting and difficult work. So, of course, there are times, right, where we need the peace defined by the lack of the noise and the lack of conflict and the lack of pain. We need the comfort in those things personally. Of course, we need that. The thing is, we don't have to choose. It's not either or. We threw out dualistic thinking two weeks ago, remember? Today's focus is simply a reminder for us to continue thinking collectively and actively, understanding that peace is something we are tasked to create. And today is also an invitation to you to jump into this wild, beautiful spirit flow with us. This is the kind of work we're trying to do here in this sacred community, but you've been warned. It is disruptive. It is highly uncomfortable, and the ways of the world will try and silence you, and your own habits and inclinations will hold you back sometimes, and people will accuse you of being political, whatever that means. But think of it this way. If the midwives had left the powers that be to their own devices, these were forces they were dealing with, if they had just stuck to delivering babies, and if Moses' mother had simply followed the rules, or if her daughter had just grown up a good little girl, Moses, a forefather of world religions, wouldn't even exist. And this is just the fringes. One example that I pulled out of our holy book, if I would have picked Jesus, we would have been here all week, so you're welcome. The point is, peace is everywhere in the Bible, and even where it's not, it's there. Remember, pick a text, I'll show you its path toward peace. We can study this evolution when we look at biblical linguistics, and the linguistics specifically of the word peace. In Greek, we see absence of conflict. In the Latin, it's an inner peace with God and humankind, so that vertical, horizontal oneness Peace is so prominent, shalom becomes both a greeting and a farewell in the Jewish tradition, and this is Hebrew. Depending on the Semitic cognate, it could mean anything. Shalom could mean anything from to be unharmed, to be in good condition, to be healthy, to be happy, to be complete. In my opinion, these are things that everyone deserves. Everyone deserves access to these things, an opportunity to have them. Regardless, with all of these languages and their various definitions, when we throw out dualistic thinking and embrace oneness with both creator and all of creation, everything changes. 
It is shalom realized. It is more than greeting or farewell. It is blessing. It is action. It is shared. We speak shalom over people's lives. We breathe it into the world with everything we do because we care about what God cares about with the knowledge that peace is not peace without all of peace for all of us. If you need a formula, the lectionary happened to give you one today in Psalm 146. I call it a formula for God's ways. God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. God sets the prisoners free. God opens the eyes of the blind. God lifts up those who are bowed down. God loves the righteous. God watches over the strangers. God upholds the orphan and the widow. God who grants us peace by compelling us toward it. Peace so whole, it is shalom. It greets us. It goes with us, surrounding us, and kissing our lives. May we all know this peace, and may we all give it. And I'd like to give you the gift of a blessing in the form of a benediction. This is from St. Patrick. Peace with you. Peace before you, peace behind you, peace in you, peace beneath you. Peace above you, peace on your right, peace on your left, peace when you lie down, peace when you sit down, peace when you arise, peace in the heart of everyone who thinks of you. Peace in the mouth of everyone who speaks to you, peace in every eye that sees you, peace in every ear that hears you disruptive peace, radical peace, equitable peace, divine peace, spirit peace, Christ in you peace, hands and feet peace, peace changing the world, peace bringing heaven to earth. May we create it, proclaim it, may we live it, may it be so. Amen.